Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. This is Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is something a little different, and it's sponsored by Centralis Wine. Centralis is my winery, and the first chapter of this two-chapter episode is a recording I made while driving around Los Angeles, as we Angelinos are wont to do. So I apologize for the quality, because it is raw. I've cleaned it up as much as I can, but the content is pretty fun. The context is that I've stopped listing grape varieties on the labels of the wines I make and sell through Centralis. And since I made that decision, I've become hyper aware of how important grape varieties have become as handles that we think we need to understand a wine. It is literally the first thing people ask when I present one of our wines. And this has led to some pretty interesting discussions and even debates. But rather than make me think I made a mistake in not listing varieties, I'm more committed than ever to being the lone voice, if need be, calling for an end to our varietal obsession. I'm actually pretty convinced we've all been brainwashed by the global capitalist monoculture into thinking that knowing the variety of grape is necessary to understanding a wine. So there you go. That should set up chapter one as a fun and somewhat funny take on varietal labeling, which is also something I'm very passionate about. And chapter two, while very different, is also very symbiotic. It's called Why Wine is Important. And I think you'll be a bit surprised at the answer I give because I try to answer that question from a different perspective, so to speak. And that perspective is really the same perspective that chapter one comes from. So that's why it's symbiotic. I don't want to give anything away, so I'll leave it at that. I have some amazing interviews coming up starting next week that honestly I think could be revolutionary to the wine world, and I'm excited to introduce you to some folks who you may not think of as wine people, but whose work is doing incredible things for wine. And finally, a special announcement, I've started a Patreon account for the Organic Wine Podcast. And if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy these episodes and get something out of it, I'd really appreciate your support. You can subscribe for as little as $5 a month, and it would be a huge help and encouragement. The link is in the show notes, and as the podcast grows, there will be more and more benefits to subscribing. And if you haven't left a review, that would be a huge help as well. Thank you so much, and I hope you have as much fun listening to this special episode as I did making it. Enjoy. I think one of our most unquestioned ways of talking and thinking about wine which is by grape variety, is actually a product of colonialism and a extractive mindset about agriculture. It is a result of commoditizing a natural product for capital profit to the detriment, I might add, of the natural world. And let me flesh this out because nature doesn't give a sh darn about grape varieties. Every seed in a grapevine is different than its parent. So if you plant the seeds of Cabernet Sauvignon, you will no longer get Cabernet Sauvignon. You'll get something that's like it, but that has a gene mutation that makes it different in some way. It might actually produce white grapes or rosé grapes. There's a really good reason for this, because nature wants diversity. Nature survives by diversity. Nature insists on and has evolved to be built on diversity because the only constant in life, in the natural reality of the world, is change. And the only way to deal with change that is constant 
is by having a diverse array of beings, one of whom may be perfectly suited for the new reality as reality changes. In other words, nature throws a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and sees what sticks. And what sticks is all that nature cares about. And when it doesn't stick anymore, when its stickiness, when it loses its stickiness and falls off the wall, nature throws more spaghetti at the wall. And that one that's stuck before is replaced by the one that is better adapted to the new walls conditions. Maybe things got wetter or hotter. <laughs> if I want to continue to uh, extend this spaghetti metaphor. And as long as we are understanding wine by saying what kind of wine is it and meaning what is the variety of grape, we will be fighting against nature from the get-go. Like we will be anti-nature with the kind of wine that we're making and the way that we're understanding wine. There are a lot of great practical reasons, but before I do not embrace varieties, but before I get into that, I just want to wrap up about the nature thing. <laughs> I want to emulate nature. I don't want my viticulture, which is a majority of viticulture is this kind, which is essentially mining, essentially a capitalist enterprise meant to mine quote unquote terroir and produce a commodity and profit from it. I want to approach viticulture as a process meant to emulate nature and produce abundance that can sustain humans. Within that abundance, there's these fruits that we can ferment and showcase the abundance of the natural world that we are a part of, I want to mention, and that our intelligence can be used to enhance and steward in a beautiful, circular, regenerative, and constantly improving way. So that's why we don't do variety labeling anymore. When we get away from variety labeling, immediately we can think about incorporating, I mean, immediately the thinking shifts because if you're not tied to a variety, if, you, if the consumer doesn't care that it's Cabernet Sauvignon that they're drinking, then you are suddenly free to use anything that grows there. And even if you're just guided by financial concerns in your viticulture, the immediate place you would go to is a grape that is easy to tend in your area, that doesn't require additional inputs, which are additional costs subtracted from your bottom line, which means you're gonna be growing native genetics that, and you're gonna be breeding constantly for better flavors and better adaption to the local terroir, climate conditions. And I think then the immediate next thing that you will do, in addition to just embracing things that are better adapted to your area, is you'll incorporate the idea of a process into viticulture. Like you will suddenly realize that it is an ongoing process of breeding and selection of new, better adapted varieties, which is what nature does. Just constantly, constantly throwing spaghetti at the wall and selecting the best, most stickiest spaghetti for that moment in history and letting it thrive or aiding it in its thriving and allowing it to reproduce and be propagated. And we step in at that role of helping that for our own ends, of course, for, the, for flavor, 
But really, those ends aren't in opposition with nature's because if we're going for both flavor and adapt, you know, best adapted to the local climate, like we'll always be working with nature. Nature gave us the flavor in the first piece to attract us to participate in this process. Like that's why grapes are delicious, so that we humans would be drawn to them and other animals and help propagate them. So we're helping nature out by, but we're not helping nature out in that process if we just clone and clone and clone repeatedly for centuries all around the world the exact same things <laughs> that come from places that aren't at all like the places where we're putting them or aren't and then expect them to continue to thrive or forcing them to continue to grow despite the fact that they no longer thrive in the local conditions as things change as they always do. Anyway, some of the other very practical reasons for not being attached to varieties, just abandoning varietal labeling and our obsession with varietals, varietal labeling. It, it, look at Bordeaux and Champagne. Nobody gives a darn that Bordeaux now includes four brand new grape varieties that are hybrids because Bordeaux isn't named a blend of Cabernet, Cab Franc, Merlot, Malbec, and Petit Bordeaux. That's not what it's named. It's named Bordeaux. And it's named, you know, the sub-appellation of Bordeaux. You know, it's, it is very easy for them to adapt their blend to suit a changing climate because they haven't tied their wagon to varietals. <laughs> Same with champagne. Champagne, nobody cares. Nobody who drinks and loves champagne cares that now there's a sixth allowed grape called Voltus that's also a hybrid grape to be used in champagne blend. I mean, like, in the future, we might be drinking champagne as, you know, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir are, like, more and more just, like, completely terrible, unadapted grapes in terms of their disease resistance. And of course, the flavor is incredible, like, but in terms of disease resistance and ability to thrive, their, their you know, vitality is just like way on the low end of the scale in almost any climate at this point, except for like, I don't even know where, um, a place where mildew and fun fungi don't exist, <laughs> which is nowhere. Um, but like, I, I mean, to finish that thought, there's probably going to be a time where people will be drinking, you know, Bollinger and, comp, you know, like for a hundred dollars a bottle and it will be 75% Boltus, plus the other new hybrid grapes that they're gonna start allowing, of course, as these other grapes continue to perform poorly. The, the traditional grapes, the ones that have been the blend for a long time. So, I mean, France, I don't know why, you know, I, I do know, well, I think I know why we adopted varieties instead of really the Europe, like we brought all the European grapes, but we didn't bring the European tradition of sort of creating brands based on locations or vineyards or whatever, or brand, like, just like let your wine be known for your brand, you know, like, or name or whatever. Like if you want a consistent, if you want consistency, if you're not just trying to do like a poem every time you write, you know, like a brand new poem every time you create a wine, sort of like what I'm doing with Centralis, then, and you want consistency, you want some big, you know, commercial product, then just name it like whatever, like, Bob Smith. Here, this is Bob Smith wine. It's a beautiful, elegant, light-bodied red, 
And, you know, that's sort of the style that we do for Bob Smith every year. Uh, and then this is Julia, you know, whatever. <laughs> Here's Julia. Um, Julia is a uh, skin-fermented white grape wine. Uh, it's, it's lovely. It's textural. It's got great phenolics. Uh, every year, you're going you're gonna to have the same. You're going to have that consistency from us. Who cares what the grapes are? It's probably, a, it's whatever grows well that year. Dozens of different varieties could be used to get those to get to make Bob Smith and Julia. And nobody gives a darn. If they fall in love with Bob Smith, then they fall in love with Bob Smith. Who cares? Especially, it's it's more and more fun. And, and I think this is the other reason, I don't know, this ties into so many things, but like blind tasting and sommelier training for blind tasting or WSET training for blind tasting literally only works if we're completely obsessed with varieties or if there are regulations that enforce specific winemaking styles for a specific area. And I know Americans really don't like that. And probably other New World people don't want that. I don't know. There might be some New World people who would love a restricted ABA that you could only do one specific thing in it, in a, one, in a few specific ways. But I think us Americans tend to have that rugged individualism bred too deeply into our brains uh, to want to submit to those kind of restrictions. So really like <laughs> in, in the new wine world that I envision, blind tasting is absurd. Like it's, I think a, a better thing to think about would be something like what Chiara does with mindful tasting where yes, like heighten your awareness of wine by, by drinking it thoughtfully and carefully and sensitively, but not with an effort to identify like the specific whatever provenance and grape thereof. Because if we're constantly adapting, how would you ever learn that? How would you ever know that? I mean, you can get to know a house style. I'll, I'll grant that. Like with champagne, you can get to know a house style. So maybe maybe it's not absurd, but. That's only for the people that choose to be consistent from year to year with their house style. You know, like, unlike me, like, I really thrive on inconsistency. So, anyway, these are thoughts. This is why we need to get over our varietal obsession. Why wine is important. When I drank the wine that got me, that wine that had me groaning with pleasure at every sip and recalibrating my existence in terms of how I could make this elixir a bigger part of it. I thought I had made an amazing discovery. One of the biggest illusions of looking out at the world through our eyes is that we think the universe revolves around us. Excited by my new discovery, I plunged into the study of the history and culture and craft of wine and winemaking. I read voraciously and tasted ravenously. The fascination deepened. I began to buy grapes and make wine from them, chasing the ecstasy of that gateway sip. Each year I made more and more wine in my apartments, and then garages. I began to write about wine. I wanted to share the joy and the pleasure that it brought me. Writing about it led me to want to learn more. I began to work in wine, selling it. I got a sommelier pin. I got a WSET pin. Finally, when I had a house with a yard, I planted my first vineyard. An experimental vineyard, I called it. I had no idea how to care for vines. In their fourth year, they became so diseased that I had to pull them out. I studied viticulture. I began to learn how to care for vines properly. 
I planned it again. This time I didn't call it experimental. A year later, I started a winery with a mission to reconnect consumers to the farming processes behind the wine they drink. I called it an ecological winery. I started the Organic Wine Podcast at the same time. I wanted to connect people who had the same level of passion about the entire ecosystem of wine. I wanted to build a library of knowledge about how to approach the farming and making of wine from an earth-first perspective. And then it hit me. An earth-first perspective is the perspective of the vines. So I went out in the vineyard. I stood among the vines, looking. I sat down, listening. I laid down, feeling. The vines were whispering to me. Finally. You idiot, they said. You thought you'd discovered a new favorite pleasure, but that was our lure. You thought you were learning and following your passion, but that was just us reeling you in. You thought you'd planted a vineyard, but that was us landing you. You don't farm wine. We farm you. My mind flew to the miles of vineyards and wineries that cover the globe, and I began to see them from the vine's perspective. Without being able to move, they had gathered rain from hundreds of miles away through irrigation systems and, and brought resources from around the globe to sustain themselves, using us. Without being able to speak, they'd created blogs and podcasts and TV channels to promote themselves in their care. They built schools and universities, businesses and industries, laws and infrastructure dedicated to their vitality and propagation. I stand now in awe of the wisdom of vines. They laugh at the hubris of the human-centeredness of names like Director of Vineyard Management or Vine Whisperer. They are the ones who have been managing and whispering. Psalm TV. Ha! It's Vine TV. Psalms are just the experts in their fishing lures. Humaning lures, maybe? Just part of the PR team for the vines. This is why wine is important. It's the vine's way of ensnaring us slow-witted humans into their service. But it's actually even bigger than that, because the vines don't see themselves as separate from their world like us humans do. Vines see themselves as a process that is connected to all the other processes of life on Earth. Caring for them implies caring for an entire planet. And that's why wine is really important, because it teaches us that the way to make the best wine is to make the best earth.